Hello and welcome back to The Growing Revolution. I'm Eric Olson with Smart Pot Fabric Planters. And this week, our guest is AC Moon, who has been involved in the cannabis cultivation trade for over two decades. And we wanted to get her on to talk about her experiences and how she is helping growers to grow better cannabis. So AC, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm really honored to be yeah, here. Yeah, thank you so much. So um, uh, I guess jumping right in, can you talk about growing up and when you first started cultivating cannabis? Well, I grew up in Northern California, where, as a lot of people know, is really deep intrinsic culture of already being in the cannabis culture. And so I had back to earth or homesteader um, community and my mom was a doomsday prepper. So we were always taught to farm and live off the land. And so when it came to like getting into high school and me realizing like the commerce behind it, I got into hustling probably at way too young of an age, <laughs> probably like 13 or 14, because all the hippies really needed ho outlets, essentially. And so we were trained, definitely, <laughs> to come out of the woods and kind of, you know, bring products out. And so doing farmers markets and anything we could growing up and yeah, it was a long time. So eventually just started advocating in 1999 um, through just living on the streets, basically hustling and bouncing from one place to another, getting myself through school and found San Francisco in the advocacy reign. And I had grown up with my mom with cancer and my dad is a Vietnam vet. And there was just like a community of like super toxic stuff and things going on. But the cannabis community always represented like positive and like we could grow our you know our wares and it just felt safer so I stayed there and went to school for environmental horticulture and started my first um, cannabis business in 2001 which was Harvest Moon Lunchy Company and yeah making so, edibles for cannabis patients yeah so that that was uh you know a lot earlier than you know most cannabis brands you know coming out um you know most brands have been somewhat recent so what was that product uh and how is it different than like you know edibles back then and you know how is the business different today in general well back then I, everybody was working with like cannabis butter that was made with you know hard biomass materials or something like that so I was already using a Moroccan method. I had met some very cool Moroccan met, um, people that owned a dispensary down the way on Mission Boulevard. And when I started my first dispensary, they showed me all these traditional methods and how to use silks and fabrics and stuff. This was way before bubble bags and like everything like that. We had to make it all ourselves. And I still use those fabrics today, the very same ones that I brought over. So it's these fine silks. and. So being able to concentrate the material and put that into edibles made it so that I could provide a much higher dosage um, than a lot of people were making like these giant brownies or like, here, like take this. And so that was kind of what was changing things at the time and right at the point where our whole community kind of changed to having concentrates as edibles and stuff. So that was always cool, cool to, th you know, be a part of. But there were so many recipes. I think I was well known for my bonbons and still am well known for my bonbons which are, you know, similar to Reese's peanut butter cups and stuff, but they're made with molasses and organic materials and dipped in chocolate. So I won my first award, I think, in 2003 at the Doja Cup in, in Los Angeles, and that's when I started really distributing in Southern California. And, 
and taking it as far as I could. And so that was a really cool platform to work with at the time was groundbreaking. Now we have innovations. I At the Emerald Cup doing edibles judging, we have like hundreds and hundreds of entries. So being able to compare what I experienced at that point to now is just vast worlds away. <laughs> so it's amazing to see that innovation and be part of it. Yeah, yeah. Edibles have come a long, long way. Um, you know, I just remember back to my younger days, you know, making brownies with, you know, leftover stems and, you know, like kind of swag weed. And it, you know, it tastes like you're eating the weed and, you know, doing uh, doing edibles with concentrates where the chlorophyll, you know, is totally taken out is such a more yeah. enjoyable experience and, you know, kind of opens up the healing power of cannabis to people who, you know, otherwise might be turned off by that uh, flavor and taste. So awesome that you were kind of leading the way on that. And now we have like the products that you can use the roughage, but we're using it more in a spiced way. So you'd be using it like an herb on your shelf, like rosemary, because it does add like a spice to it in, in like culinary practices. So you can add it back in as like an alternative taste, but you don't have to get stuck with that huge fiber fill that is just yeah you don't want to sauce through your edibles that's for sure exactly Exactly. um so ac you've got a really solid resume uh for horticulture why have you leaned towards organic cultivation versus salts um or or do i have you wrong are you an advocate for both can growers use both No, I'm definitely not an advocate for salts at all due to the antibiotics that are put into large ag, you know, large ag for them to harvest urea and other aspects. Um, the entire cycle of it is really, really bad for the environment. I'm definitely an advocate of regenerative farming, home practices that create like terroir that is enhancing our climate instead of decreasing the value of the microbes and so it's really, I think, important all over the world that I've traveled working um, in different like soil cultivation sites. It's one of the most important factors to put in all of the KNF methods, all the Jadon methods, like all the organic composting methods, worm bed methods, um, kelp and sea waste. And, I mean, there's so many different methods and just combine them all as much as you can and um, making sure that we're actually giving back to the earth by growing instead of just completely deleting the planet of all the stuff that's going to save us in the end (laughs) yeah the i mean we're running out of phosphorus you know mined phosphorus is supposed to be you know extinct within a hundred years and i i'm a big advocate of you know feeding the soil which then feeds the plant so uh i think we're on the same page here um now, and many elements from all over the world, I think, including sulfur, are being overmined and really poor practices behind them. So um, it, it, for us to create things, it's hard for us to help the environment create it itself, I think, is what the blessing is. for sure. Yeah, I, I think working with Mother Nature has uh, much better long term benefits for us uh, than going against it, for sure. Oh, that's for sure. Uh, so uh, getting into your uh, other business here, what is the Crop Top Greenhouse? How did you come up with it? And, uh, you know, what, what's it for? So I started cultivating large on my property is probably right around, you know, 2000, right at the turn of the century. And as I was getting my degrees in horticulture, 
I found smart pots and I was working in gardens trimming and doing everything else for like the elder growers that are now in their 60s and 70s and seeing what they were doing I was able to look at products that I was seeing you know in the lab and uh, around which are like a fabric pot type aerative bed and I was like oh this is gonna be so cool so we started doing depths and I think in 2001 I started doing all these light deprivation projects with smart pots and just using that whole platform. And I got my first 200 gallons like given to me by this older grower that didn't need them anymore that was building solid wood permanent raised beds. I was like, you want me to use these? And I was like, dude, of course I do. Cause I working in so remote places, like I can't build raised beds everywhere and it's not always convenient or good for gophers or different aspects to have it subducted. So I was like, Dude, smart pots. And so I was sitting there year after year watching them like get smashed and NorCal weather was just crazy. And I was like using umbrellas from the porch and like anything I could, tarps, like tops of tents. And I just wanted to protect my ganja because I wanted to make sure it was the best it could be to go to the dispensaries for the patients and eventually getting greenhouses and all that. But for the ones that are outside of the greenhouse, I had these big patios and I was like, I just want to make that a greenhouse. Like that's just going to go over these pots and these beds and where I want it to be. Instead of me having to drag these plants in and out of the greenhouse every day, I'm just going to make the greenhouse where it is. So I made the entire umbrella situation into 9.4 polywoven plastics that we use in traditional greenhouses, and it became an instant pop-up portable greenhouse. And so I filed my patent and was granted my first federal patent as well as 21 micropatents. has a stainless steel pole with a telescoping pole that um, will allow you to have the bubble right over your grow pot or your bed um, and that protects it of course in a biodome way it has ventilation at the top that has meshing so you could use it for pest management and then the telescoping pole allows it to grow with your plant all the way up to nine feet tall and also i've put them on top of cages many times as well as many clients have where they have 200 gallon 300 gallon grow pots and they have their caging set up up to the 12 feet, and we just set those um, crop tops right on top of it, and the parabolic shape allows for the, the runoff to protect those buds, but still would be using the sunlight. And, um, and in indoor and greenhouse, I found it became really good to have like a quarantine space for fogging and, and actually taking the time to quarantine, isolate um, Haustoria problems with pests and manage those so that it didn't proliferate around your um, space as well as an instant pop-up quarantine for you know um, germination breeding to help do like a little bit of science and research so it became really eclectic and I found a lot more uses than I even started with and so that's been my passion project was getting into invention and now I love product innovation so that's my jam. That's uh, that's really cool Um, it's a really cool concept and we'll add in some you know pictures and you know video or whatever on the back end so people can see what these look like who are watching the podcast. Um, So how long have you been working as a consultant and what does that all entail? uh, And where are your clients located? You said you're just getting back from the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, Absolutely. I found it in 2018. I realized that my 24 years of experience was like I'm spinning my wheels because California industry and many other industries here are spinning their wheels and that there's so many people that were on these groundbreaking moments that I loved of where the first medical marijuana movements are just going on 
their culture is just integrating cannabis. And so I founded Indica Innovations International where they go all over the world and try to help people innovate everything from writing SOPs to actually doing business structure, risk management, cultivation, propagation, mothering, learning how to temper um, cultivations. I've had the goo strain going for over 20 years. So knowing one genetic and keeping that land race, you know, skill alive and then doing edibles. And most recently, I just got back yesterday from St. Thomas, where we're setting up the first legal dispensary system and hoping to educate the people with Oaksterdam University. So I'm really blessed to get a chance to educate the equity community and met up with the Rastafari Nation to see how they wanted to implement into taking their sacrament into commodities. And so just finding ways to really consciously cultivate and integrate um, cannabis back into these different societies that have been proliferated due to prohibition. Yeah, I, I just always find it so crazy, like, you know, the the Caribbean islands, you know, Jamaica, like for so long, like cannabis, you know, has just been entrenched in those cultures, but it was illegal. So, I mean, same as the USA, yes. uh, but almost more so there. Um, Very it's much so. just crazy. And it's awesome to see that the walls are coming down. Um, Absolutely. And the persecution of the Rasta empire, like goes so much deeper because we can listen to the sound of Bob Marley or just a couple of reggae tunes, and we know that um, cannabis is safe in those in those energies. Like we associate it in every way as cannabis being a part of the Rasta vibration. So I think in that that being a world notation worldwide, that's true that uh, reggae is the atonement for that. So I think definitely them being held in the highest regard as having to liberate their equity and it's very they're not interested in money they're they're interested in surviving and creating a higher vibration so i'm hoping to be able to integrate that all with good business practices on the dispensary retail and international shipping and exporting yeah you can have the best of intentions in the world but if you don't have like a solid business plan uh, you're not going to last too long. So that's good that, you, that you're there to help people, you know, be that you're kind of their training wheels uh, as, as they get going. Uh, yeah, it's been amazing. It's the, actually the fourth um, country that I actually got to be there the day of legalization and be involved in the cannabis industry the day of legalization. My last large project last year was in St. Vincent and the Grenadines and working in that culture as well was just, it's just a blessing all over the Caribbean, all over Asia, and in general, that is a real pushing space, I think, for the cannabis culture just because the um, climate and environment is perfect for cultivation. And so that's a real, as well as mushrooms. I cannot deny that. I've seen many licenses now as they proliferate also towards the, shall we say, exploitation of mycology as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's taken off like a rocket too. Uh, it should be interesting to see where that industry uh, ends up. Are you selective of who you're taking on as a client, or is it pretty much just kind of like hit me up and I'll help you? No, no, I'm very selective in the way that I look at the background. I do a lot of due diligence on anybody that I take part in. I mean, it takes me years sometimes for me to want to you know, go out because I do travel to international nations by myself at times with just the backing of like Oaksterdam University or some other like constituents and colleagues that I work with as, as consultants as well. And so 
Yeah, I do a lot of. In the large industry, I, I'm very, you know, picky. I'm not going to say any names, but I've definitely turned down some, some jobs that I felt were not good for the culture that they were targeting, and that it's very important for me to um, make sure that those cultures understand the bad business practices I've seen from some of the larger companies in the continental United States to make sure that they have an opportunity to educate themselves and um, not have that same mistake made in their native area. Awesome. Yeah, it's super important because it's really hard when we don't have enough education in the world. There's too much policing of, of true education and too much bullshit media like regurgitated information. Yeah. So we need, to, we need to go back to grassroots on that. Certainly, certainly. <laughs> Um, so the cannabis industry, you know, varies from state to state, but in general, it's seen what a lot of people consider a downturn over the last year. How have your clients been dealing with that? That is so hard to answer in the way that, um, every area is so endemic and so far from each other. You know, if I speak to a client in New Jersey, they're very much on the page of where it's still a new budding, thriving economy, as well as Virgin Islands or, say, England or Ireland, where they're like, even hemp is just so new to them and such a fresh commodity to to become part of their society. Uh, I don't think that, (laughs) I don't think it's really easy to answer that one just because there's such a digressive. But if I speak to someone in California, it's very easy for me to say, listen, you know, your ISO has got to be put in place. Like, you have to bend your CGMP needs to go on. Like, you have to go to such a higher degree in order to not be part of the acquisitions and monopolizations that will be gained from uh, the failure of a lot of different aspects of overtaxation. And so with that being in place, it's just so endemic to where the places are. Internationally, everybody's excited because this is so new. But in California, everybody's like, bleep! <laughs> so it's very, it's very polar opposite. Cannabis industry is very torn right now, I think. And it's interesting to see how the ball fields and the playing fields will even out so that we can all, you know, speak the same language. Essentially. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, um, I guess being a, a cannabis consumer and, you know, on the production side of things, like, you know, yes, we, you know, everyone wants free weed, but at the same time, like it takes a lot of time, effort, knowledge, you know, technique that goes into cultivating high quality uh, cannabis, uh, especially. So there's got to be a um, healthy middle ground where, you know, farmers are, you know, able to make a living. Uh, people are able to get decent product and hopefully the government doesn't take uh, more than their fair slice <laughs> Yeah, that's hard to believe that that will happen. But I just try to tell everybody that cannabis is not a gateway drug. It's a gateway to the garden. So we have the same ability to proliferate our talents of cultivation through our food. And having a little bit of veggie garden and not to plug smart pots again, but that's a really easy way to do it on a deck, like anywhere, like just an instant garden where you can have your food and then have a couple of cannabis plants in legal places. And... And that provides you, like, this is, you know, your own. And that learning experience, like, every time you do it will just get better and better. And, and it just is, like, so much love when you grow your own stuff. Yep. Like, so much love. 
no matter who I work with, I always advocate that people still in their own home have one or two cannabis or hemp plants just to enjoy the experience and energy of having, you know, food of any form or uh, medicine around you, even though I'm not supposed to say it's medicine. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it, is, it is medicine, you know, for your body and mind. And, um, yeah, everyone should grow their own medicine, grow their own food, um, you know, less money uh, going through the supermarkets, oh. lowering your carbon footprint, all that good stuff. So, all right. So are there any aspects of pre-legalization cannabis that you miss from like 10, 20 years ago or longer and why? Oh, wow. That's such a good question. I think that medical marijuana, as we called it at that point in time, was it was about compassionate use. And it was about a focus on, you know, plant medicine and integrating it into lifestyle changes and being able to save people from cancer and different things and this awe-inspiring science that we had just first coming to light to a lot of people. So I think that I definitely miss the community that really has, it's still there in a lot of ways, but it's forced to dissolve through competition in a lot of ways that that um, need to compete has dissolved part of it. But there is still a core roots, elder grassroots that I love to death. And I hope that we can always preserve that compassionate use in between us. And just an understanding that even when you're talking about alcohol, we're talking about something that's made from a plant. Um, all things, you know, as much as I want to say that the alcoholism and the abuse and the toxicity of that, like, there's also people that can abuse cannabis and many other things and opiates in general, like, we have to level the playing field that those are all plants that are being extorted in different ways and to have compassion is remembering that it's about the plant and, like, keeping like the freedom to use plant medicine and not be stuck with just the education forced down our throat through colonization or pharmaceutical media or whatever have you so just yeah. freedom of thinking i think is is what i miss the most and what i hope that comes back in the future yeah. as we go through our next revolution of cannabis industry <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, hopefully 100 years we'll look back in, in time and think like, wow, I can't believe that cannabis was illegal, but all this pharmaceutical crap that killed millions of people um, has, has was legal. And Absolutely. yeah, it well, boggles my mind, I've, but we're moving in the right direction. It's been worrisome because of the D10 or was it the THCO? is only made in a laboratory and I'm seeing it already in circulation internationally. And so they're actually using already the catalyst of cannabis to synthesize a completely binormal product that isn't a cannabis product into a THC molecule so that they can purposely um, put it back into the commodity sector. So I see it already being undermined in different ways to just be aware. That's why a home grow and full spectrum entourage effect is what's gonna help us all heal in lots of ways i think yeah but yeah that's just my personal opinion and not my medical advice <laughs> sure sure uh so getting back into california's uh cannabis industry uh you know they're struggling with oversupply over taxation 
Um, yeah, lots but... of businesses are, you know, getting out uh, or just crashing. What do you think needs to be done to right the ship there? Um, and I believe that generally our commerce was always fueled by interstate purchasing. And that's one thing that has been hard for a lot of um, the new nation to accept is that because of our climate and our environment, a lot of our larger purchasers I know firsthand are, you know, from other parts of the nation that didn't have such good climate or the ability to hide from judicial sectors to be able to create large enough grows to proliferate in public as a commodity. So that block market, you know, we got to break the laws to make the laws and we did. And so now we're seeing everybody trying to follow the laws and the laws are written to be very endemic to different areas. Like we have to work within California. Well, if you have some, a place that has all the meccas of cannabis in one place, who the fuck's buying weed? Excuse my language. But like in general, we have to be realistic that, yeah, we have the trades and we really have great things like the Mendocino Farmers Guild that where they're bringing craft farms out so we can go to a market style and actually buy from the farmer as a consumer. So it brings back more of that organic farmer's market feel and um, getting to know the farmer's story and that it's farmed in a regenerative way and that it's not all this salty nation stuff where like, hey dude, you're smoking pee, but whatever, like you're good with it. And so it's kind of, you know, trying to educate the masses. This is such a pain in the butt, sorry. <laughs> I love it though, I love it with all my heart. Just There's such a different perspectives everywhere that we have to yeah. battle. It's like debate team every day in cannabis industry. Debate yeah, team. yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, some people have no ego at all in the cannabis industry, and some people have like all the ego in the world. And <laughs> they think like they invented the cannabis plant. <laughs> yeah, and, seriously. You know, these genetics have been here. You know, as long as the plant has, and we're just and selectively that's probably breeding. Probably tired of humans. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, AC, this has been a really fun, uh, informative interview. Where can people get in touch with you to, you know, purchase your products or uh, retain your services? Um, I'm at IndicaInnovations.com. You can also find me at AC at OaksterdamUniversity.com and hoping to educate every way possible and AC Moon all over social media and LinkedIn as well. So if you want to be more of a social let's share something i go towards ig but if you want to get business please see all my certifications on linkedin and um, connect with me there so that we can actually work together and support each other in the future yeah so uh again thank you uh you know for being a, a long time smart pot uh user and supporter go smart pot and uh and thank you for being a long time uh cannabis uh advocate and supporter um you know it's Kind of the people who've been doing it for 20 30 years that have brought us to to where we are today so thanks for blazing the trail absolutely thanks so much i appreciate that support and thanks for doing what it is you're doing too everybody's you. Yeah, we're just, in their own space yeah we're just trying to you know document these stories from people who have you know been long time you know in general smart pot fans but you know people who are into smart pots are into growing all things so um and and you're one of them 
and we love smart pots in the Caribbean too. I couple I took a couple of down there and it really works well because we have such high humidities and the aeroponic value of them is excelled because of the Caribbean moisture. So yeah, hoping to take them down to Virgin Islands too and see how the, the Rasta farmers like being able to move things around and that should be interesting. Yeah, that, that would be nice to take a work trip down there. Uh, love the Caribbean. So <laughs> on that it? note, uh, looking forward to following your uh, adventures on Instagram going forward. Excellent. Thank you so much, Eric. A really nice meeting you. It's been fun. Yeah, likewise.